Well, good morning, church. Man, I am so glad you guys are here this morning to celebrate a risen Savior. Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, is He not? We have an incredible life in Jesus Christ, and we come together today as the family of God to celebrate that very fact. I'm so glad that you're here, and whether you're here in this room or joining us online, I I want you to know God loves you, and He's got the very best life in His Son ready for you. All we have to do is surrender to Him and gain that life, and we would have this incredible opportunity to, to experience peace and joy in our life, forgiveness, the lifting of the burden of sin, that would be able to be light to those around us. It is a great opportunity to, to take hold of the light and the life that we have in Christ Jesus today. And, and I know after our service today, we've got three already who are wanting to be baptized, and uh, today you could add to that number if uh, you're, you're making a a decision for Jesus today. We'd love to do that for you and journey with you in the moment. This morning, we're going to be in John chapter 20, and so I hope you've got your Bibles with you. You'll turn with me there. We'll be there in just a few moments, and our text will be on the screen uh, as well. You know, I'm, I'm fairly certain that you probably have some kind of comeback story that you've heard of before. Maybe, maybe it uh, was something you read on the internet, or you've read it in a, a novel or a book. Maybe it happened to you in your own life. You've got a, a story to tell about how you were down and out. The horizon was dark. It seemed like you were in isolation when suddenly the sun appeared and you moved on to bigger and better things. Moments in your life when you experienced a comeback story. There are lots of those that we could have pulled from out there, but I thought about the company Apple uh, as I was preparing for this, and we all know that they kind of uh, have their foothold in the world with technology and gadgets and different things like that. But back in 1997, it wasn't so. They had experienced 12 years of losses in their company, and they finally agreed to bring Steve Jobs back, and in doing so, within two years, uh, shares of their stock had gone up to $99 a share. It's a great comeback story, and we look at them now, and they're definitely a force to be reckoned with. I'm thinking all the way back to my my high school football career, 1985. Please do not do the math on that. 1985. Uh, In our our senior year, we were undefeated until the Boonville Bearcats came to town, and uh, they played us, and we ended up losing that game 38 to nothing. We, big old goose egg on uh, on the marquee, and that was not a good feeling at all. But we went on to continue to, to, to win against other teams and went to state. And who would you guess? The first team that we drew in the state playoffs was Boonville. Now we had to go to their house and play. And we were thinking, man, how are we going to work through this? How is this going to come out in our favor? Uh, and at their location, their field was above the field house. And so as we came out of the field house, we kind of looked up into our side of the stands and saw no one, <laughs> not, not one person. And we thought, boy, this is going to be a bigger battle than we thought. But as we got to the top where the field was, what we discovered was all of our fan base had actually come down to the field. They had sparklers and created this human tunnel, and they were uh, cheering us on and affirming us and just go get them, guys. And it really pumped us up and got us excited. And, and at halftime in that game, we were ahead seven to nothing. And you could have heard a pin drop on their side of the field. It was a great feeling. And by the end of the game, we came back out and we had tied it up 7-7. We went into overtime and the rest is history. My life is kind of one of those comeback stories too. 
I grew up in a home where mom and dad uh, knew Jesus Christ, taught me about the Bible, taught me about Jesus. But at 18, I made a decision to walk away from all of that and spend about five years in what I call my wilderness. I, I didn't attend church. I didn't care about God or reading the Bible or being with people that, that had good morals and ethics. And eventually, I, I discovered, man, my plan is just, it, it isn't working. But I know whose plan is work, working. And so I came back to Jesus Gave my life back to him, and it's been a great 28 years in ministry. Thank God for startovers and do-overs. Each and every one of us have some kind of comeback story that we know about in our life. And my guess is that probably most of us in here look back at the last 12 months that all of us have experienced, and we'd love to have a comeback story. We think it's time for a comeback story. Based upon what COVID has done to all of us, it's taken away our community, our family, it has uh, deprived us of some health along the way, and maybe there's an empty chair because we've lost a friend or a loved one along the way. Maybe in your home, finances have been difficult because of the economic downturn. All of us would hope for a comeback story coming out of where we are together as a family right now. But, but I want you to know in your own life, no matter where you have been, no matter what decisions you have made, no matter how dark the horizon for you, there is hope for you in the Easter story. It's the reason why we've gathered today to celebrate Jesus Christ and what He's done for us. And no matter how, how disappointed you have been in some of your decision makings, no matter how far you feel from those that love you most, no matter the burden of guilt that you might feel weighing down upon you, I know this that with Jesus, all things are possible. I mean, I mean if, if God can raise Jesus from the dead, there's hope for you in your particular story. You and I have so much to celebrate. With Jesus Christ in our life, anything is possible. What an incredible time that you and I have right now to share that message of Jesus Christ, because I know that there are believers right here in our audience, and I want you to participate if you're watching at home as well. But, but my guess is that it, Jesus Christ has done some positive things for you in your life, and so in your life, if He has lifted that burden of guilt, if He's forgiven you of your sin, if He's restored relationship for you along the way, if He's given you a bright tomorrow, Let's stand together and praise his holy name. Give him some adoration. Stand if he's done anything positive for you at all. We want to say thank you, Jesus. You guys can have a seat. We know the reality of the story. And all of us have a comeback story when it comes to Jesus Christ. Today we're going to tap into his story found in John chapter 20, verse 1, beginning. Let's read together. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And she said, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrapping lying there, but he didn't go in. And then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrapping lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. 
and he saw and believed. You and I are called to remember this story today. And we're called to believe in a risen Savior. It's the reason why we come together every first day of the week as a family to say, we believe. But there are generally about three different parts of every comeback story. There there are moments when you are going to recognize each one of these parts. And the very front end of that part, the first thing that you recognize is the moment when you think that it is over. The, The moment when you think, there's nothing but darkness around me. There's no nothing on the horizon for me. There's no hope in my future. And it was that case for the disciples in the moment when Jesus was arrested, which led to his crucifixion. I mean, all of their hopes in the entire world, all of their life was placed in him. Everything that they had wished for had come true in him. But now he's been arrested and eventually will be killed as they watch their leader, the one they know is the chosen one, the one they know is the Messiah, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Son of God. He's going to lose his life. There's no comeback from a Roman crucifixion. I mean, that night after the Passover meal, Jesus is arrested in the garden in the middle of the night. He's taken to a mock trial with other Jewish leaders present, and the text tells us that he is slapped, that he's spit on, that he's punched in the face, that he's hit on his head with rods, he's called names, and eventually turned over to the Roman governor who lives in Jerusalem, Pontius Pilate, who then tries him, finds no reason to find him guilty, but he can't overcome the shout from the crowd, and so he gives in. And he sends Jesus to the praetorium, which is where the garrison of Roman soldiers are housed in Jerusalem. And there's a courtyard. And there, he says, Jesus needs to be flogged. And so they strip Jesus down naked, chain him to a pole. And they get that cat of nine tails, and they begin to to lay into his back. And his back is laid open. You can see sinew and bone. The blood begins to flow. They create a crown of thorns and place it on his head, pushing it deep into his brow, and the deep, pounding headache begins. Eventually, they place his instrument of execution on him, and he has to carry it through the middle of town, down Main Street, crowds on both sides of the road, screaming at him, yelling at him, making fun of him as he heads out the city gate. And once out the gate, he makes a turn and heads to the place of the skull, a a hill called Golgotha, where at the top of that hill, he's laid down. The Roman soldiers take that, that, that cross and they lay Jesus down on it, strip him down totally naked. They take three nine inch nails, spikes, and they put one into one wrist, one into the other wrist, and one through both of his ankles into the wood, and they raise that cross so that everyone can see the humiliation of crucifixion. Now, most pictures from the Renaissance age show Jesus very high above the crowd, but the truth is the cross is very low. And that's so that the crowd can get at him, make fun of him, throw things at him as he's helpless on the cross, breathing his last breath. It's getting dark, and so the Roman soldiers are ordered to go around and break the legs of the criminals that are on the cross 
Jesus and those that are crucified with him, two thieves. They break the legs because that's the only way you can breathe on the cross is that you actually have to push up on the nail that's in your ankles in order to breathe. So they break the the legs of the other two thieves that are crucified with Jesus to hasten their death. They come to Jesus and recognize he's already dead. But just to make sure, they take that Roman spear and they thrust it through all the major organs to make sure he is gone. They hastily remove him from the cross. He's placed into a borrowed tomb. His disciples have no way of actually preparing his body for burial. They have to wait because it's... Passover and Sabbath, and they cannot do any work right now. They have to wait till Sunday. It's in that moment that, that they believe all is gone. There is no hope. There, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. There's nothing on the horizon. All of our hopes and faith and dreams has just been killed. And they wait all night Friday, Saturday, Saturday night and Sunday morning till finally Mary Magdalene has time, according to the Jewish calendar, where she can actually go to the tomb and prepare Jesus' body properly for burial. She's waited all weekend for this moment. And so she gets up the very first moment that she can. She gathers the supplies and in the dark makes her way to the place where they laid Jesus. And it's dark outside and it's dark in her heart. Some scholars say that Jesus pulled her out of prostitution and restored her. Some say that he cast out many demons from her. She was a close disciple of Jesus, but it doesn't matter now because he's dead. There are difficult moments in our life where we look to and we, we can say we have hit rock bottom. Moments that are dark in our own lives, that that moment when you first hear about the affair in your marriage, the the moment you first recognize and understand we cannot have children, that that difficult moment when you you have to bury one of your own children, The, the tough moment when you walk into the boss's office at work so he can tell you that we're laying off, we're downsizing, you're fired, and you thought you were going to have that job until you retired. That moment when, when you sit in the doctor's office and he says the word cancer. There are difficult moments in our life where things are dark as well. Moments when we're at our lowest relationally and spiritually, financially, Mentally, emotionally, moments when we think there's just no recovery from this. There's no comeback in this particular story. You think about the disciples. They waited all night Friday night, all day Saturday, Saturday night into Sunday morning. Now, you and I hear the word Easter. We hear the word crucifixion, and we automatically jump to Sunday, don't we? We automatically know that there is an empty tomb, that Christ's story is not over yet, but not the disciples. They don't know that just yet. And I want you to know this morning that if you find yourself in your own story in a Friday night or a Saturday, God is not done working in your life. He's got more for you. As long as there's still time on the clock, God is working. And then there's that moment in the story when when you begin to believe. Maybe there is some hope. I can have faith in the story. We begin to believe. Now, let's be honest, you and I. 
I mean, do you really believe in an actual resurrection? I mean, we think about Easter, and there's some great thoughts that come with that. We, we think it's a great family tradition to be together, that uh, we've had great lunches along the way. There's Easter eggs for, for the kids. It's a great family tradition that we've done for decades, or maybe you think it's a great church ritual that you get to go through every single year where there's special songs and special moments along the way. But historical fact? Hmm. You know, one of the most compelling reminders about the resurrection are the number of followers who actually died telling the gospel story. I mean, why in the world would you die for something that isn't true? It, it seems a little bit dubious that the, the, the disciples would gather up in a room after Jesus' death and say, listen, let's keep this lie going even if it kills us. doesn't seem logical to me. And some people are willing to die what they think is true, die for what they think is true, but no one's willing to die for a lie. You see, the truth is the disciples knew Jesus had come back. They had faith in that story. And so the question for us this morning is, do we really believe? Because once you do, church, it's a game changer. Everything changes for you in your life. And no matter how broken your marriage, no matter how desperate the situation, no matter how bad your worst choice is, no matter how far away the people are that you truly love, no matter how heavy the burden of guilt in your life, it's never too late, church, when you believe in a risen Savior. It's never too late. And Paul tries to make us aware of the power that exists within us when we do believe he writes the church in Ephesus, and letting us know today, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, beginning, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe Him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. You see what Paul's telling us there? The same exact power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, if you are a believer, lives within you. You too have an incredible life in Jesus Christ. And when you discover that, that's when the celebration begins in your story. There was a moment when it was dark and then you started to believe, but now the celebration begins. It's that moment when victory is inevitable and you know life is complete I mean, after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus made multiple appearances to, to different groups of believers. He met with several of them. They sat with him. They touched him. They talked to him. They ate with him. They spoke with him. And at one point, one of our texts says that he met with 500 of them at the same time. Now, after Jesus' ascension, the disciples are told to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit, who will be their counselor and their guide. He'll direct you in what to do next. We see that story begin to unfold in Acts chapter 1 and 2. Now, I've got to stop here for just a minute because I want to invite you back next week. We want you here because we're going to start a brand new series on the Holy Spirit. The next three weeks, we're going to unpack questions like, who is the Holy Spirit? How do I know He lives within me? What is it I need to do in my life to gain understanding about the Holy Spirit? We're going to look at lots of different questions over the next three weeks, and so I'd love for you to come back and be a part of that discussion as well. 
But a few days after the ascension of Jesus, there is a, a celebration in Jerusalem, a celebration called Pentecost. Now, it's called Pentecost because it's 50 days after Passover happens. And it's a, a festival that Jews come and give an offering at the temple. It's a harvest festival. It's a first fruits festival. And so there are literally thousands of people in Jerusalem 50 days after Passover. And in Acts chapter 2, it kind of talks about all the different areas and regions, towns that are present in Jerusalem for this particular festival. And so the disciples in Acts chapter 2 are in this house, and it says this great wind comes into the home, and they receive the Holy Spirit. And they begin to do miraculous things like talking in tongues. Remember, there are lots of different languages present in Jerusalem on this particular week. And so the disciples set up on the temple steps and they begin to tell the story of who Jesus Christ truly is, that Jesus was crucified, that He was buried, and that He rose again. That's the gospel in a nutshell. The crowd knew something special had happened because anybody that can walk out of their own tomb is exactly who He says He is. He's the Son of God. Jesus the Christ, the King of the Jews, King of kings and Lord of lords, the Messiah, the chosen one. And Peter says, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Savior of us all. And the text reminds us that those who were listening to the message were absolutely moved to be different, to be transformed, accepting of His Holy Spirit. And so they asked the question to Peter, what must we do to be saved? And Peter says in reply, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What happens that particular day? The disciples lay out the gospel story. And Acts chapter 2 tells us 3,000 men were baptized into Jesus Christ that day. And that's not everybody because they don't mention how many women and kids were baptized that day. This is the first day of the church. And we are the ancestors of that moment right here this morning. We're carrying on that group setting, that family setting to say that Jesus Christ has indeed risen. And so we let the celebration begin. You see, these men and women were baptized into Jesus Christ because baptism really captures the essence of what Easter is all about. It's what Jesus did for us. We participate with Jesus in His death, burial, and resurrection in those moments during baptism. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, he says, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. You see, when we say yes to Jesus Christ, when we're baptized into His name, we become brand new creations. The old is gone and the new is here. And so as we stand in that water in baptism, we are saying no to my choices, no to my way of life, and yes to Jesus Christ and His way of life. We're buried under that water with Jesus Christ, and when we come up out of that watery grave, then we are brand new creations and dwelled with the Holy Spirit to do great and powerful things for the gospel story in your particular life. Now, I want to tell you that Satan is going to pressure you. He's going to whisper in your ear, 
you making a commitment to Jesus Christ? For some of us here today, he's, he's saying right now, listen, if you make a decision to do this today, you're going to make some people upset because they're waiting for you for lunch. And, and, and you need to think about that because they're going to be upset. Or maybe some of us are thinking, you know, I got all dressed up today, so I'm going to have to put something else on, get in the water, and then get my clothes back on. That's kind of a challenge, task. Maybe you're thinking, I don't want to get my hair wet. He's going to give us every excuse so that we don't say yes to Jesus Christ. I'll promise you this. If people are waiting lunch on you because you said yes to Jesus Christ, my guess is they're going to say congratulations. They're going to say, way to go. They're going to give you a big hug. They're going to let you go back for seconds. It's going to be great. (laughs) We're called to live differently because we believe. And as we look at your comeback story and how Jesus has affected you, each and every one of us have had a moment in our life when we thought all was lost. But then we begin to believe the story. And then... We began the celebration. And for many of us, it might have appeared like the disciples in this video. Jesus is our only hope. And church, his story is absolutely true. And it's in him that we have true love, acceptance, forgiveness. The burden is lifted. We have family. It's in Him that we find peace and joy that we're looking for in this life. So this morning is a call that you would say yes to Jesus Christ, that you would embrace Him like He's embraced you. After all, He is our living hope. And so let's stand together as the family of God and celebrate His holy name right now.